was interesting. I sort of went off topic a little bit from what was written in the bulletin, but it's sort of on the same subject. I think the bulletin said resurrection, walking in new life, but I wanted to speak about the move of the Spirit in our life and in history. And it's really interesting because I know people are on Easter break and, you know, we just got done with a heavy-duty weekend Friday and Sunday and, you know, it's a smaller group, but I was thinking it's very interesting that a lot of times revival started with a very small group of people. It started with a small group of people that were gathered together that really had a hunger for God and that were praying. And great things began to happen. And so tonight we're going to be talking about resurrection, but it's through revival and times in our history. And talking about this is very exciting for me. It is probably one of my greatest passions to see the Holy Spirit move way beyond what we've ever experienced before. That, that we, as a people, would have such a great understanding of the miraculous power of God. That we would not just come in and do our church and not meet with God in a very real and tangible way in our lives. And so we're going to talk about, it's so interesting because throughout history, there's been revival throughout the world in different places and different locations, but I'm going to focus on some different revivals that actually happened in this area, uh, in this country. And one sort of took us into Canada. But in Acts 1, it's really interesting because right after Jesus died, I'm so excited to see our tomb up still and that the stone is rolled away. Huh? That, that is speaking a lot. There's just uh, pretty awesome. Jesus is out of the tomb. And so when he got out of that tomb, you know, he went and he walked into the book of Acts. And then as he was going and leaving, he was getting ready to be beamed up. He spoke to all the followers and he said, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. And so there was a lot of folks that were watching him and what was happening, but not all those people waited. But 120 did. Again, compared to how many were present, it was really a very small amount of people that uh, took the time to go to the upper room and wait. So 120 waited, and 120 received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it said it came in like a mighty rushing wind, and that it empowered them to become a witness throughout the world. And it had great impact and it still has great impact. It's still happening. People were saved. Churches were growing. Churches were being established. There were healings that were happening. Now, we look in the Gospels, and we saw those things happen in the Gospels, except for the churches that began to be developed. But we see that Jesus operated in healings and deliverance. But when he went to go be with the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit, and he said, greater works would you do. So what began to happen is the apostles began to operate in these greater works. And so there was miracles happening. I mean, they said that even when someone, you know, an apostle's shadow went by someone, they were healed. Um, there were things that were happening constantly. People were being delivered, and there was mighty miracles happening in the book of Acts. It was very exciting. And then as history goes on, something shifted somewhere because 
500 AD to 1500, 500 to 15 AD after death, is known sort of as the Dark Ages. And so it's really interesting to think that here there was this dynamic move of God when Jesus left, the apostles were here, now all the apostles are gone, and we enter into this dark age. And it was a period of really uh, violent religious strife, struggle. It was a time when really the Catholic Church held great political power. And the churches were dead. Somehow it was like during that time, works began to trump grace, and God was silent. But there was a man, and at that time he was a priest and he was a monk. His name was Martin Luther, and it's thought that Martin Luther suffered with a form of OCD. And if you've studied OCD, there's different forms of OCD, and they believe that he had something called scruples. Scruples is a form of OCD where you <laughs> scruples, <laughs> where you're scrupling all the time. So he was actually wearing out the confessional and the priests because night and day he was going into confession. If he had, he was bombarded with um, dark thoughts, uh, with things, he was trying to do everything perfectly and it wasn't working and he couldn't get released from the torment of his guilt. He had mental anguish over really not doing anything. I mean, a monk and a priest, okay? He, the priests were getting very upset with him. They were challenging him and saying, what is wrong with you? Why do you keep coming to confession every 30 minutes? It was pretty severe. He kept trying to confess his sins to find relief. And through much hardship and struggle... Luther had a revelation, and all his efforts and good works could not please God. And that salvation came through faith and grace and the forgiveness in Jesus Christ. One man, one man longing to be right, who experienced great torment in his mind and heart, had a great awakening. And there was a shift and something broke loose from the Catholic Church. And yes, was he persecuted? Absolutely he was persecuted. But when you've been that through that kind of battle, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. He said it was like the very gates of heaven had opened before him. And the church began to breathe again. And what I mean that the church began to breathe again is the church began to come alive again. Because it was operating in truth. You know, it says Jesus came and he was grace, and he was truth. And so Martin Luther, through his experience, broke from the church and began to function in this incredible grace. Then we have something that happened in 1906. It was when the San Francisco earthquake happened. Things were stirring before the earthquake. Early 1900s, there were some Parham, there were some men of God that were getting moved on, and they were having a very much of a hunger for God. But behind the scenes, there were little old ladies. There's always a little old ladies. There's always the Litas and Donnas and Anitas. Huh? <laughs> the, little, the little young old ladies. Anyway, there. Yes, I do. <laughs> so there's always those 
who behind the scenes are contending for authentic move of God, for an authentic revival to take place in our country, to see conviction come back on the scene, to see true confession and conviction and, and conversions become so real that people, they don't just say a simple prayer and then go back right out into the sin that they've been in, it, like a cheap grace. No, the grace does not give them license and the grace does not bring them into legalism because the grace has been bought with a great price and it's come through the revelation of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And nobody can take it. Nobody can take it. So in 1906, we experienced one of the greatest revivals of our time and it was the Azusa Street Revival. The one, huh? Huh? Yeah, so how interesting it's now, you know, it's now Skid Row. But who does God's heart go after? Those on Skid Row. So may he redeem it again. There's so much that um, happened there. But back then, Dean, it's interesting because one of the men used by God was named William Seymour. And what was interesting is he was African-American, so he was not really accepted anyway, naturally, in that time. He was blind. He had one. He only had one eye, uh, but this man dared to believe. He rented a tiny horse stable. Isn't it interesting that a revival would start in a stable in L.A.? So he rented a tiny horse stable and he turned it into a revival center, hoping that God would show up. And you know what? God really showed up. God really showed up. So it says he would preach behind a cart. You wouldn't even see his face when he would speak. But the whole place would fill with, they called it the Shekinah glory. And the whole place would fill with the mist of the presence of God. It was tangible presence of God. The glory of God would fall. And it wasn't connected to one man. It was connected to one move. And it was a move that happened and was birthed out of a hunger and people praying. It said that people, God would come, and people were breaking out, speaking in tongues. Now, tongues had not been reestablished in the church for forever. This was all a new experience for people. And when people were getting hit with uh, speaking in tongues, there was a lot of deliverance going on, and there was a lot of miracles that began to happen again. And so it really, what 1906 did is it brought us back again to the book of Acts. It was like sort of establishing again where, where it began. It says that when there were people who would be traveling to services on trains and in the streets, that they could not even make it into a church service because they would fall down under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and be on their face crying out to God. And some of us, we're, we're afraid to even say the name Jesus. God was on the move. God was on the move. This was a supernatural thing that was happening in the hearts of the people. And it says, one time a large group of firemen entered the building with their hoses because the neighbors had reported 
that the roof of the building was on fire. And they said it was tongues of fire flaming up from the building they were in. So the fire department comes. There's absolutely no visible fire to be seen. But it was the fire of God. I really think that we need to, you know, in, in the Old Testament it says, remind your children and your children's children of the good things that I've done. And sometimes we need to look back in history and remind ourselves of the good things that God did and that God can do it again. He can do it again. And he wants to do it again. And I think we're getting ready for him to do it again because we're getting desperate. And we're going to talk a little about that too. You know, as a child, um, Seymour experienced, I think he was a little boy when within a few years there was a release from slavery so it was during that time in history. He was uneducated, but everything he learned, he learned by reading the Bible. And it says at 25 years old, he got released from an inferiority complex. Isn't that interesting? He had been tormented uh, and had mental bondage with an inferiority complex. I think it's interesting to note that Martin Luther and William Seymour both had conditions that brought them into a place of mental torment and bondage, and both of them were mightily used by God. So, do not default if you have mental stuff going on. God might just get ready to use you. You know, that's the neat thing about God. He goes past our head. Because the, the spirit doesn't operate in our head. The spirit operates in our spirit. That's why someone can have a, a, a brain damage and you can speak to them, and they might not remember one thing, but if you begin to quote a scripture to them, they could draw that scripture right up. You know why they can draw that scripture right up? Because they're not drawing it up out of their memory, out of their head. They're drawing it up out of their spirit. That's why it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. That's why it's able to divide between our spirit and our soul, because it doesn't operate, it doesn't lodge in our mind. That's why it's so important for us to meditate on the word of God because it can absolutely transform us. I'm a little excited tonight. As I told you, this topic is absolutely my favorite topic in all the world. And I would love, <coughs> before I go, to be with Jesus to see another move of God. Let it be so. Um, the one thing that Seymour said, and I thought this was really interesting, and I think it's interesting for all of us who want to be used by God, because how many of us want to be used by God? Do you want to be used by God? What an incredible compliment to be used by God in any way whatsoever. And we can, daily. He said he was determined that man-made shackles would never hold him down again. Man-made shackles would never, ever hold him down again. So that was a real move of God. During that move of God, I think some of the people that were birthed out of that were um, people that you might not know them. I was going to pull up some old historic clippings of their ministries. Would be maybe um, Miss Wigglesworth, Catherine Coleman, uh, Amy Simple McPherson. Um, these, were, these were people who had ministries that God called into ministries that were seeing dramatic healings like in the days of the apostles. So if someone died, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to raise them from the dead. In fact, I think there's a story that Smith Wigglesworth 
his wife died and he was raising her from the dead. And I think she said, don't you dare. <laughs> As she was being raised back from death. Like, you know, I'm ready. I don't want to come back. And so um, it was interesting that, you know, s- these people were very, very dynamic. They were flawed, which is interesting. I think it's very interesting how God uses flawed people. Flawed people. We always, we disqualify ourselves because we think that we're flawed and we can't be used by God. And God it just wants us to give us and surrender those flaws to him. Because the flaws don't get in the way for him as much as they get in the way for us. So then the next move of God happened and it was called, how many of you know of the charismatic movement? Or have heard of the charismatic movement? Because that happened in the 1960s. And it started with an Episcopal priest named Dennis Bennett. In fact, when I lived in Seattle, I went to his church and had prayer. Um, He declared to his congregation that he had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and it was not really well received. So he resigned. He was very well known in that time because him and his wife, Rita, had written a number of books on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They wrote a book called Nine O'Clock in the Morning or something. It's, it's only nine o'clock in the morning of when Peter was baptized in the Holy Spirit and they thought he was drunk. And Peter said, what do you mean I'm drunk? It's only nine in the morning. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. They wrote a, a book that detailed very well about the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, it's worth still getting because it's still very meaty and it goes through the different gifts that are in Corinthians and that all on connected to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, people could use those gifts. But what happened in the charismatic movement, the group that got targeted in that movement to start with were disillusioned youth. They were disillusioned because they were tired and they wanted to trade in their parents' dead religion. And so they did make a trade. And they went into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Then we had our 60s. And what happened in the 60s is we have our Jesus movement that came out of the 60s. And what it did is it began to pull the disillusioned youth into a new thing that wasn't dead religion, but an authentic move of God. And God began to put his hand on the Jesus movement kids. And some of those are some of your most dynamic ministers today. Dave Self who came and spoke recently, came out of the Jesus movement. And so it didn't just stay with the youth, but you had youth that were flocking into the churches in their miniskirts, in their shoeless, their hair flying all over. It was a little Christian Woodstock happening. They came in, and the church had to adjust what they had known before and say, This is looking a lot different than what we are used to, but obviously this is God. And these kids came in, and they also came in hungry for boundaries. They came came in hungry for someone to reestablish them and help them to grow spiritually. (coughs) So that move was very, very powerful, and the Holy Spirit was really on the move then. I think I probably got saved during that, at the very end of that. (coughs) So 
there was a real restoring of the gifts of the Spirit. And not only were main denominations really stirred up during that time and open to God in a whole different way, but the Catholic Church was very, very impacted by the charismatic movement, and there was a lot of uh, Catholics who became charismatic Catholics. And I grew up in San Jose, and I went, when I did go to church was when I was a kid, which was very, 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 very rare, um, I went to St. Martin's, and <coughs> there was a priest there who got baptized in the Holy Spirit who was really messing with all the priests, and he said, give me some guitars and let me be in the, um, what is it when you play basketball? What's that place called? Um, the gymnasium. He said, all I'm asking is that you let me take the Catholics who are hungry, and I'm asking for the gymnasium, not on a day that the Catholic services would be, and just a few guitars, and I want to do a different type of service. And people were, again, flocking to that service. And again, the tangible presence of God was very evident during that time, and people were really experiencing God. Um, then in 1980, this is the last one that I'm aware of that was a very strong move of God in our country. Um, it was called, you would call it maybe the renewal revival. Okay. Some people called it the Father's blessing. Um, it was definitely a time of renewal. And if you walked in in a renewal service where the, the, the presence of God came in, you would think people were crazy because people would be laughing. I mean, they would just, like, be overwhelmed with, with laughter. And then when some would start laughing, then others would just, like, it would be, like, catchy. And so then you're all like, we're out of control. We're just laughing. We're so happy. It did seem like people were really, they were high, but they were high on Jesus. Um, so anyway, there was a lot of that going on. People would laugh. People would cry. The one thing I remember about renewal is the heavy, heavy presence of God. There would be times, I know for myself, that for hours I could not move. I would be under this presence of God, and it would be like an awe experience. You know my friend Amy Van Meter, one time somehow she ended up, we were a pretty conservative church, we were, you know, we were a full gospel church. She ended up somehow under the piano like she was in a casket for probably 10 hours, and the leaders of the church just put a blanket on her and left her because God was moving on her, and no one was going to mess with that. It, that was happening, and it was, you can't even explain it to the human mind. All you know is you would not miss it if you walked into it. You knew when the presence of God came like that, and you knew when it lifted, the problem is sometimes people, when it lifted, didn't want it to go, so they started to sort of almost fake it or try to continue it and strive for it. But I tell you, God is not to be messed with or strived with. And that's the thing with spiritual leaders. The pastors did not know how to pastor this move of God. There was a lot that was happening in the 80s where things were going on. And the thing is, is to discern when something's, when God's moving and when he is not. And in that, in that way, he's always moving. He's moving always. But these are unique times. These were unique experiences. When 
the church was dry. The church needed to be revived. They needed a renewal. The church was tired. The church is like how we sort of feel sometimes in this day and age. Weary, dry, needing more of God, hungry, wondering if God was going to ever show up again. The church was in a crisis. And I see some of the same things happening right now. That's why I'm believing, I'm believing we're going to have another revival, our renewal, our visitation, our movement of God that is going to be very authentic. And when it's there, you won't miss it because you're in awe. You're in awe of how real God is. When God begins to move like that, in the 80s when I saw it, you didn't have to be in church for the presence of God to move on you. You could be in a restaurant. You could be in a park. You could be anywhere, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa. They called it a wave, and that's what it felt like. So you'd be trucking along. I can remember many times I would just be doing something, and then all of a sudden it would be like a wave of the Holy Spirit. And either I would be almost with my head and my food at a restaurant or crying over a waiter or saying uh, just in awe of the presence of God and the love of God and the visitation of God. So that's neat about the things when those things happen. They're not just, they don't have to just be in a church setting. The book of Joel and the book of Acts isn't it interesting when God makes a promise and he puts it in the Old Testament and the, old and the New? I feel like he's reestablishing, he's really stating something in a strong way. And he said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions. So God promised in the last days that he was going to pour out his spirit. What do you think, having his spirit poured out, what would you think that would mean? Our little humble flesh can't even handle the depths of having the Holy Spirit poured out on us. I think if we had a few drops, we wouldn't know how to contain it all the way. So he holds back. But he says, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. So, what are the, some of the char- in closing, what are some of the characteristics of revival? Prayer. Prayer is huge. Uh, <clears throat> it was small groups of people praying. And maybe it was just the simplicity of saying, um, God, send revival. God, move by your spirit. Not lengthy, but heartfelt. Um, it was the characteristics of the strong presence of God. You know, like Easter, I felt it. I felt it by the water baptism. I felt that it was so strong, the presence of God, I thought that Johnny was going to drown because he couldn't even hold his body up. He, he was overcome by the presence of God. Everyone being baptized. Something was going on. And sometimes you might not see it out there, but you can feel it. And so a strong presence of God, um, intensity of conviction and repentance, where you're really convicted of your sin, where you're like, I can't do this anymore. And I can't, I have to tell somebody. 
I don't even care if I get in trouble anymore. I've got to tell somebody. I don't care. I've got to get right with God. And people who don't even think they know need God are going to be convicted. Leilani, they're going to get convicted. And when a move of God comes, they're going to get convicted. They're going to be like, I've got to get right with God. Um, people are witnessing and people are responding to being witnessed to. There's miracles happening. What is the preparation for revival? That was characteristics. Preparation, prayer. <laughs> Again, prayer. An air of expectancy. If nothing else, tonight with, this, with our small gathering, I'm hoping to raise expectancy. I'm wanting you to expect this to happen. I want everyone to expect God to move. When God moves, he's going to move with his love. What an incredible thing to be that loved by God where we feel his love, his joy, his peace, his presence. Um, so the atmosphere is right. Um, a lot of times, preparation can come through crisis. It can come through a people being desperate, a country being desperate, a world being desperate. And people begin to cry out. It says, if my people who are called by my name will call, uh, cry out, humble themselves. A new hunger for God. You know, sometimes how we get in a mentality is, oh, I got to go to church tonight. Oh, I got to go to church Sunday. It's going to be very different. It's going to be, I can't wait get to get to church. Oh, I get to go to church? You know, it's going to have a whole, di- it has a whole different feel on your heart. And the glory sh- of God will show up, that Shekinah glory where you, it's tangible almost. Those are some of the things that uh, are preparation for revival. So the cautions are that you don't seek manifestations instead of seeking him. You do not operate in a counterfeit or a lack of discernment. When God's moving, it's not like, oh, let's just hang loose. You're still uh, aware Yes, and because he's put us all in place to still have accountability. Um, And so what do we hope for in 2019? The church in 2019, we talked about the church in Acts, the church in 1906, 1960, and 1980. Think of those timetables. So now we're almost to 220. Okay, 219. What are we expecting for 219? The upper room has got to get restored. Tongues cannot continue to be weird in the church. The upper room needs to be restored to the church. It needs to be honored in the church, and it needs to be sought after and waited for. There needs to be a new boldness in believers to speak the word of the Lord, to be comfortable speaking up, and that comes from a boldness from God. We need to have a love for the house of God, We need to gather, hear the word, fellowship, commune, and pray. That's all in Acts 2. I'm taking these from Acts 2 because that's where it was first established. There needs to be unity. The fear of God needs to get restored in the church. Because in the book of Acts, you know, we've got those people, husband and wife team, Ananias and Sapphira. They they held back some of their property, but it wasn't just that they held back their property. It says that they lied to the Holy Spirit and they came up and they tried to present themselves as something that they weren't. And then it just says that they dropped dead in the middle of the church service. They dropped dead. I mean, not just for a season, they were gone. 
like it was over. Gone. Dead. And they carried him out. But you know what it said happened? It said a great fear of God came on the congregation. Well, that would make you have a little, it'd be like, oh my, am I next? I mean, that would make you have a fear, a holy fear of God. But not that we're going to be dropping dead in church, but we should, there needs to be a fear of God restored to the church. <clears throat> uh, conviction and conversions, and then the fivefold ministry to be, once again, really fully operating. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, yeah, that group, to build and equip the church. So, I hope you will go home and have an expectancy. I hope you'll go home tonight. We pray a lot of times for ourselves. Why don't we pray for the church? And why don't we all agree tonight that we're going to pray that God's going to send revival? Why don't you guys pray that that God will send revival? You know, I'm on my way to Montana next week. I have one more Sunday here. Can you pray that Sunday the revival will start and I'll get to see it? Huh? I would love that. So let's just pray that God would bring a real revival. And you know what? He can and he will. I really believe he will. So I'm excited about that. So changing gears, I brought a very dear friend. I asked a very dear friend of mine to come tonight. Um, She's very special to me. I've known her for a number of years. And probably two months ago, I felt like I had a a Book of Acts experience with her. Because I want us all to realize those experiences are still happening today. So I asked Sunny, come on up, girl. I asked her if she would share a moment. Um, Sunny runs the palliative care group at Hazel Hawkins and um, has been there forever and does the grief counseling and works with um, hospice and palliative care. Hi, um, just, um, I feel very blessed to be here. I love Dory, and um, I've known her for many years, over 10 years. So I do end-of-life work at the two nursing homes and the main hospital. And about two months ago, I uh, talked to a friend who told me about the experience of being baptized in Holy Spirit. And I have not heard of that. I, um, I became Christian. I was uh, baptized in 2013. So ever since, it has been an amazing journey. And uh, so this was the first time I heard about being baptized by Holy Spirit. And um, and name of Dory and Bruce was mentioned, that they were a part of it. So it was about half an hour later that I called Dory church because we haven't talked for about a year or you know I haven't seen you for a year and I got her number and I didn't want to wait at all so I called and I'm leaving her a message about saying Dory I miss you I hope you're doing good also I wanted to see you I had a question and so as I am leaving a message it was like two three sentences I hear a knock on the door and I turn around and that was Dory. <laughs> so f- I was like, my eyes were so big, and I, I couldn't believe, I thought I'm imagining things. Is this real? So that moment, and it, she wasn't alone. She was with a friend, Amy, 
and and it was amazing. So I, I went and I said, you cannot believe what just happened. So so I told her, and I knew exactly God was working, and um, and then instead of setting up a you know meeting time. I, she looked at me, want to do it now? I said, yes, can I do it now? Can I get <laughs> baptized now? So I sat on the chair, and uh, Dory and Amy, and I was sitting, and here's amazing. I had a card of Holy Spirit on my computer, a uh, prayer, Holy Spirit, and I had a Bible right there, too. So it couldn't have been more perfect. And um, But one thing that I wanted to share is it's very important to when you're being baptized in Holy Spirit, of course, I trust Dory, and not only I trusted her, I mean, she was right there, it was the miracle, but opening your heart, because um, I feel like if you close the door, you can't allow God to work through you, even if you have a powerful person who works, does the work of God like Dory, but if you're not open and don't have the strong faith, you don't open the door and don't believe that wouldn't work. So when Dory was praying and you asked me to start speaking in tongues, I didn't think that, oh, no, it's going to be, this is not real. I kind of let it just pour in my heart and just, l- just let the words come out. So and, um, and that was amazing experience. Another thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned that you can't move. After you guys left, I just sat on the chair, and I literally could not move. So I was sitting there for about half an hour. I had to move to go get my son from school. Otherwise, I would have been there for all day. It was just I had the peace of God just just on me and in me. And ever since then, um, amazing things happened. And looks like when Holy Spirit comes in you, gets rid of what doesn't shouldn't be in you. There are things that um, we think, oh, it's the little thing, little things we don't need to let go of, but there are things that when God is talking to us, when you're filled with Holy Spirit, you just got to really walk that, the walk of God. So it has really transformed my life, and I'm forever thankful, and I love you. God bless you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I love that. Pretty awesome, huh? I mean, that was the most weird thing. You'd think she saw a ghost. I come popping in. This is at work. This is at the hospital. She's like, shut the door. I'm like, okay, let's do this thing. And I mean, it was such an awesome thing. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. Go see Sunny. Go see Sunny. And I'm like, we got to go see Sunny. And she's like, and then like on her computer, it says Hillside. It was already up there with our phone numbers. And she's on the phone calling. I'm like, oh, this doesn't get any better than that. But, you know, it just reminded me of the book of Acts, like walking in something where it's just supernatural stuff for us regular flawed people, you know, that God would move like that. I don't know. Anyone else want to share a testimony? Anyone have anything they, they want to share? I just feel like uh, just opening that up. So I didn't know that you were going to talk about this topic till the other day, right? Okay. So um, about a month ago, Joe and I were going down to Palm Springs to see our grandson. 
And so I shared this with some of you. We get around Pasadena, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking the Azusa Street Revival, Amy Semple McPherson. And it was so strong in me, the revival. And there was no reason for, I mean, I hadn't read a book about it recently or anything. It was just like the Lord said, remember this. Remember what happened here. And it was so clear, those words. And then you shared that you were going to be sharing about revival. And it was like, thank you, Jesus. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. So then Lita gives me a book. She goes, oh, I ordered a book on revivals. So I said, oh, I need it so I can study up for my talk. Oh, I'd love to see that one. Those kind of stories, they really do stir something in you because it stirs your faith. Like if God could do it again. You know, that's why I think I love that song, God Can Do It Again. You know, because he can and he wants to do it again. Anyone else want to share? Come on. God's done it again right here because this is my miracle. So some of you might not know me, but I used to be uh, the secretary here when this church first opened, and I had um, I had back surgery. I had a three-level lumbar fusion, and it um, it didn't work. It not only didn't work, it utterly failed, and I have been bedridden for 14 years with crippling pain, just completely ruined my life. I mean, just messed up really bad. Um, but it wasn't, I, I just want to say what started as a, sort of like a, a physical thing kind of turned into a wilderness experience. Because if, I, if I'm to be completely honest, um, I have to say I had a lot of character flaws that the Lord had to work in me, work out in me. And um, I made up my mind during that experience that I wanted to cooperate with the Lord to the best of my ability and I did do that to the best of my ability. Not that I was perfect, because I really wasn't. Um, times, uh, during some, some of that time, I was just paralyzed by pain, and I pretty much did nothing. Some of the time, I cooperated with the Lord to the best of my ability. I studied the Bible, prayed hard, and then sometimes I did nothing. So I am a flawed human being, and um, anyway. But uh, back in February, I began to feel a grief in my spirit over the state of our country. And um, I can't even say specifically what it was. It just a grieving in my spirit. And it was akin to Nehemiah and the walls of Jericho, or, or the walls of uh, Israel being broken down. And it was so strong that it got me out of my bed, and I would anoint my shoes and walk around my neighborhood praying over Hollister and over our country. And it was so strong, I can't even tell you. Um, it did not go away. I joined a team, a prayer team, like online, praying for our country. And all I can say is a miracle has happened. I feel drastically better. And it came about through prayer. And I realized um, that I am called to intercession. And, and it's weird. I never even knew that that was a thing that God had planned for me. But... I have been praying and praying, not just for our country, but for my family. I kind of came to realize I'm a gatekeeper for my family. And when I stopped praying just through my, my physical circumstances, my whole family kind of backslid and stopped growing. And I am, I've repented for that, and I'm praying 
faithfully for my family again. Anyway, it's been a wake-up call like crazy. So I'm back to doing what I'm called to do, which is praying. And, and through that, I've been coming back to church, and I'm, I feel like my healing is coming through just me praying. And I think it's miraculous. Really, it truly is. It is miraculous. It is absolutely, absolutely miraculous, more than anyone here could ever know.